The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Other Wrestling Show. This is a fast count edition, rapid reaction to All Out, AEW's September pay-per-view. So uh, we're going to run down the matches on the main card, give you our thoughts, and uh, react to what we just saw. And uh, Mike, we had a hell of a show. Um, What are your initial takeaways from the last four hours of pro wrestling that we just watched? Uh, two things. Uh, most importantly, Joel, who won the pick'em tonight? Yeah, yeah, you won the pick'em. That would be around. me. That would be me. That's two in a row for the champ right here. And my second thought is, if you look, if I look at each match individually, there's a lot of good stuff on this show tonight. The elephant in the room was the Matt Hardy situation, and I just felt the vibe for the rest of the show was just in a constant state of flux. Like even when a like tag team title match, that was amazing. And as soon as that match ended, like it got this pit in my stomach and something felt off. And I think it affected the crowd. I think it affected the wrestlers at ringside. And it was, it was just a weird situation. And honestly, one of the scariest things I've ever seen in professional wrestling. So I I'm going to have to give a few days to kind of wrap my head around the evening itself. But, um, Definitely a lot of good stuff in the ring. Definitely some great storytelling going on. So definitely want to talk about that. But that those are that that's the initial thought is man, it felt a little weird at times. Yeah, I definitely get that. And um, you know, for me, even before the Matt Hardy Sammy Guevara match, you know, there were a couple of spots in the Battle Royal that oh yeah, just really like I did not like. Um, or, you know, spots that just made me nervous. So, um, we'll get into that. We'll talk about it, but, but I agree there, there was a bit of a weird vibe, but I I don't think like a lot of the characterization that I've seen on Twitter of like, you know, this wasn't a good pay-per-view because of these things. Like, I think that's really, um, reductive and I thought it was a great show, um, with a couple of unfortunate moments and, you know, thankfully everyone is okay. So, uh, it didn't, it didn't ruin the show for me, but it did. There definitely was that kind of sense of unease. Uh, so, but, but let's get into it. Let's talk about it. So we're not going to discuss the pre-show. There's just too much to cover. Um, but there were a couple of matches on the pre-show and, uh, private party got a W Joey Janela got a W um, so good for them. And uh, the first match that we're going to talk about was the match that kicked off the show, which was uh, Britt Baker and Big Swole in a tooth and nail match. This was a pre-recorded uh, cinematic style match in which uh, Swole got the victory, earning a measure of revenge on Britt Baker. Uh, Mike, what did you think about this one? I kind of wish they stuck with the... <laughs> dentist horror movie vibe for like the entirety of the match no i was loving that yeah like the first i don't know two three minutes where uh you see the blood all over the first room and then you see uh like brit like in the dark room taking off her mask and then like all the chatter teeth like that's some 
Joker level zany creepy shit. So I kind of wish they stuck with it because I think that would have been a cool take on this match. Um, but the overmatch itself, it was fun. Uh, you know, it, it, I saw people complaining about, like, oh, leave cinematic stuff to WWE. I'm like, this, this, not every cinematic match has to be a multi million dollar production here. This was more of a offsite parking lot brawl type of thing. And I think it delivered. And while I called Reba getting knocked out with laughing gas, I'll take Brit getting knocked out with laughing gas. I'll take a little credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I thought there were some legitimately creepy spots in this match. Like the initial sequence of Swole being pinned down and Britt going after her with the the little uh, dental tool. And then later on with the legit power drill (laughs) uh, getting jammed through the dentist chair. I mean, that's some legit horror stuff. And Uh I, I agree. I wish that that vibe had been more present throughout the match. But I thought this was a really fun affair and got to show off a lot of the personality of the different performers in the match. Um, Ultimately, I think the right person won. And I think this feud can continue to move on from here. Um, Yeah. I I think that's something that um, people weren't really grasping with this is this is while this was the, like that we've been waiting months for this match. This feud is, is just getting started. So this didn't need to be, anything more than it was. We don't need it to be a classic barn burner in the ring type of match because this, this whole feud was more about that. The story was bigger than that. Um, So I guarantee we're going to see Britt Baker versus big swole again, hopefully over the next few weeks, or maybe if they can stretch it to revolution, but that match will happen. Um, and, And this was fun. Like, it was fun. I did question its position at the beginning of the show. I always kind of like to start a show with something super hot in the ring to get the fans excited. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I thought it was fun. Good for both. Of, good, good for all three women in the match. Cause Reba basically was in the match. Yes, indeed. Maybe at some point we'll start getting her name, right? Oh, well, well, they, they call her Reba. I know her name. I know. I know. I mean, the collective, <laughs> not like we on this podcast, but like overall, can I uh, tell you though, the, the one spot that really like just got me, got like uh goosebumps, man, when they stabbed Brit in the leg with a goddamn syringe. <laughs> like, oh, every, oh, every inch of my body was just like, no, no, don't do it. I, I'm sure it probably was a fake prop one, but still, all my insides were like screaming. <laughs> I think, I think she probably got stuck with a legit syringe. I mean, there's, you know, it. It's definitely something that you could do, um, and I mean, it's a tiny gauge needle. It's not like that's not a dangerous spot to do, and. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, I mean, it's pro wrestling, you know, we see people get stapled and, you know, we've seen people go in nets of legit barbed wire. And uh, if you watch crazy shit on the Indies, you've seen people get bashed with fluorescent light tubes. But I mean, people it, have a thing about needles. It's, it's a phobia. Like, so just, Oh, like I was just so, I would, that, that 20 seconds made me so like, Oh, just squirm in my seat, hug yeah. the dog a little harder because I was just scared. So yeah, anytime I see a spot like that, it just reminds me of that scene in Saw Two when uh, the 
woman gets thrown into the pit of needles. Like, oh, yeah. All the nasty stuff in those movies. And that's the like the one that skeezes me out the most. But anyway, yeah, the needle in the eye in one of the other ones. That one always gets me, too. Yeah, um, I don't think I've necessarily seen that one. I think I only ever watched the first four. So, yeah, I think that's uh, in six, seven or the new one. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move uh, on. Yeah, so fun match. Uh, the next match on the card, the first match that took place in the ring uh, on the main card was a really hot tag team match with the Young Bucks getting a win over Jurassic Express in heel fashion and um, just really, really great action in this one. I thought both teams looked incredible. Uh, spot that really stands out to me from this match was the absolutely massive Canadian Destroyer that was hit on Luchasaurus. And like, I just, I thought he was dead. That was just really incredible. Lots of great athleticism on display in this match. And I thought that Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus really worked on top for most of the match, which was cool to see the Bucks kind of fighting from behind and having to duck out of the ring and use nefarious tactics to get the upper hand. Uh, Perfect team to put them up against for for their first, you know, full on heel tag team performance. And I love this. This match was it was great. You know, I mentioned that I usually like to start the show with something in the ring that's high, fast paced, get the crowd involved. That's what this match was. The energy felt great after this match. And my favorite spot was Luchasaurus like took one of the bucks like they leaped into the ring and he like grabbed them and just like choke slammed them where it kind of looked like they went did like 180 degrees from the apron straight oh in yeah, the yeah, air. yeah i know what you're talking slammed. about that was real yeah. cool looking like one of the biggest choke slams i ever seen and then uh yeah that you, you stole the words out of my mouth with that her uh that destroyer that's one of the biggest <laughs> biggest destroyers we've ever seen and just the overall heel work here from the bucks was really really fun to see you know i you've obviously have watched the bucks way longer than i have you know with your foray into ring of honor before i did but um i've gone back watching their stuff and they're just when they want to be dickheads they're so damn good at it like they're really good at being a dickhead team there's a difference between being a dickhead and being a heel and being a like you know a shit a shit-eating grin heel like mj like there's different levels to it. And I don't think there's any group that does the dick heel better than the young bucks. Yeah. I, I think that's probably accurate. Um, it, it's so much fun seeing them work a different style from what they've been doing since AEW started. And they truly do work differently as heels, which you would expect, but with their style being so defined with all the high flying moves and the tandem offense that we've come to expect, seeing them have to dodge and duck out of the way and do all of their sliding in and out of the ring and, you know, rapid transitions from spot to spot in a different way as heels is really cool and just shows the breadth of their ability as pro wrestlers. And I thought this was a great showcase for all four in the ring. I did think that this could have been a great spot to get a big win for uh, Jurassic Express, uh, because I didn't feel like the Bucks needed to win this match in order to set up what they're doing next. In fact, if they're kind of moving towards rock bottom, like 
losing might have actually helped advance where they're at. But we'll come back to their kind of continuing storyline later when we talk about the uh, tag team championship match. Anything else from this one that you wanted to to talk about? Uh, the one last spot that really got me. Uh, Matt did a Northern Lights suplex over the barrier onto the concrete to Jungle Boy. And I thought that was going to be the worst concrete spot of the night. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> but yeah, let's move on to the Casino Battle Royal here. So I have these written down out of order, so you'll have to help me with the order of the matches. But yeah, the Battle Royal was up next, which... I have um, Wikipedia open, by the way, so... Okay, that, that's helpful. And it's, it's very helpful. And it's in the, so, right, it's in the right order, too. Great. Um, so yeah, the, the Battle Royal, I thought, was a blast. I had a really good time watching this one. Uh, the highlight of the match for me was Jake Hager getting taken out by Sunny Kiss. Uh, yes. Yes, we, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. We stand Sunny Kiss on this podcast. And uh, that was a great spot. And I know it was kind of a short-lived run in this match for, for Sunny Kiss, but uh, the ratio of time spent in the ring to time spent knocking out Jake Hager was almost one-to-one. And uh, you know that makes us happy here. If there's anything on this podcast that will make me pop, it's anything bad happening to Jake Hager. So, Sonny? Pouring one out for you. That was awesome. <laughs> so I, I will say, uh, on on the topic of Jake Hager, him being billed as rock hard Jake Hager, I think could be a really tremendous gimmick if like everything he said in promos was like an unintentional sexual innuendo and he just no sold <laughs> it. Like he just doesn't get it. He keeps making these references and he doesn't understand that everything he's saying is like, you know laden with double entendre i think that would be a great character for him because you know all it requires is for him to deliver a line with a straight face with you know no humorous intonation and for everybody to take it you know the other direction i think that would be a hilarious way to uh play out jake hager but but well, anyway we, we know he can't act so just give him lines and he'll crush it um so the one of the, the the one of the things that stood out for me early on in this match is just the production improvements from l- Double or Nothing last year, the last time they did this with the men, and I they did it at All Out last year with the women. But I remember in the in the last two Casino Battle Royals, they just had them all walk out at once. You didn't know who was in each group. There was no reaction. There was no pop. The only one who got a pop in the first men's one was Hangman Page because he was the Joker. So I love the fact that all five, and they were they they were smart. They paired people off so they didn't have to take as much time. I think each group had a team or people who were affiliated with each other. So like the butcher and Eddie Kingston, Ed Kingston came out. Ed Kingston, Eddie, Eddie. I, that sounded weird when I said it. Eddie Kingston came out. Then it was Santana Ortiz and a different group. So, um, but I, and then they showed afterwards. Here's the spade suit. Here's everyone in that group. Mm-hmm. Thank God. That was so hard to follow uh, twice last year. So really good that they're able to see, you know, and see the feedback because we were talking about that even before we did the podcast. Like, man, they have some weird production stuff. So great job there. And yeah, this match was fun. Um, I think I think it being so star studded really helped. Um, the last two of these we've seen have had a lot of people like we a didn't know them or 
and also was early on in the company, so we didn't know much about him. Um, but yeah, and I loved all the little stories, little feuds going on in this match. It made it like sometimes these battle royals, Royal Rumbles, they can just kind of be random. But there were stories play just going on constantly throughout this match that I really, I really liked. Yeah, and we got a big debut in this match. The Joker spot was none other than Matt Seidel, <laughs> uh, also known as Evan Bourne. And uh, <laughs> I can't believe you're laughing right now. <laughs> that is reprehensible. Now that, now that I know he's okay, but like, it's just, oh my God, it was a huge moment. Matt Seidel, and then like, God choke slammed him and thank <laughs> thank God Willie Hobbs was right there because he immediately did you see he rolled over and basically checked on to make sure that yeah. he wasn't dead. Um but my God, what an ant the most like shock master level anticlimactic uh debut. Poor guy. I feel I, awful. I'm, I'm gonna choose to remember his first offensive move in AEW as the devastating knee strike that he delivered to Sean Spears outside of the ring because that actually happened first before he wiped out off the top turnbuckle he blasted Sean Spears in the face and that's what I'm going to choose to remember because I'm, I'm glad you can choose to remember that because I thought I thought that was going to be the worst botch we would have seen tonight but Joel boy was I wrong that wasn't even the worst spot in that match. No. Um, Can we talk about Darby Allen? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Darby Allen. So Darby Allen is insane. Oh. We know this to be true. We've seen it before. Uh, but this was next level. So they <laughs> walk uh, us through this whole the whole situation. Yeah. So uh, so our, our our good friend Ricky Starks, who we love, uh, pulled a body bag and a sack of thumbtacks out from under the ring after being eliminated by Darby Allen and provided those items to one Brian Cage, who proceeded to dump the thumbtacks into the body bag and then stuff Darby Allen into the body bag and toss powerbomb him out of the ring onto the entrance ramp. Now, one of the things about being in a body bag is that you can't really see, you can't really control your momentum, and Darby definitely over-rotated on his way out of the ring, landed very poorly, and because he was in a body bag, it looked even worse. Um, I'm really hoping that he's okay, because, I mean, it, I was expecting to see him, you know, come out of the body bag and show off all the thumbtacks that were driven into his body. And the fact that we didn't get that spot tells me that something was wrong. Because why would you do that if we're not going to get to see the final product? You don't do a spot like that and not show it off. I don't Anytime know. Anytime you don't get think color, you, need... you show to the camera. <laughs> I, think you, I think we all know how fucked up and bad that was. I don't think we need to see it. And yeah, I was a little concerned with how they tossed him out of the ring. Normally, like, hey, yeah, give him the soft power bomb, Like the jackknife powerbomb where you just kind of drop him. You know, because there's more whiplash if you smash him down like with a Batista bomb. I feel like this needed more guidance. Just yeah. place him there by just letting him float through the air. Like, and the steps were right there too. Or like, gorilla press him. Like, yeah. Do something other than out. a cross power bomb out of the yeah. ring. It just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of Darby Allen and I, I didn't like that spot because we just lost him to injury and just got him back. I'm not ready for him to be out again. I think, I think this is just 
what we're gonna have with Darby Allen. It's yeah, it's funny. It I, it reminds me of you know quarterbacks who don't learn how to slide or refuse to slide, and they just keep like Mark Sanchez was one of the worst sliders I've ever seen, and he kept getting the shit rocked out of him. It's hard to kind of relearn that, and it's hard to tell someone like Darby Allen, no. Like we talked, we were texting earlier about how does Tony Khan build out the shows? How does Tony Tony Khan, you know, we were just talking back and forth like, well, does he take the feedback and give a yay or nay, or does he take it and, you know, kind of tweaks it? Like someone I feel needed to still tell them either don't do this spot or do it differently. So we have to look out for the health of our wrestlers here, especially Darby Allen, who has had multiple injuries and a year and a half in the company. So, um, another lesson from this match, Schultz, I'm never picking Sean Spears to win a pay-per-view match again. (laughs) I think I've picked him three straight pay-per-views. Maybe even, maybe, maybe I've picked him every single time. I don't know, but I am no longer picking Sean Spears to win a match on an AEW pay-per-view. It's cool. I'll pick him next time and he'll win and get me the point. It'll be, it'll be perfect. It'll be poetry. Uh, so we should mention that Lance Archer did win this match. Yes, we haven't brought did. him up. Um, and uh, he will be the next challenger, presumably, for the winner of the main event, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Uh, I thought Eddie Kingston was going to win it. Uh, I know, when me there too. Two left, and the Butcher and the Blade came out. I really thought he was. And then one, one of my follow our followers pointed out that Kingston went through the middle rope to get on the apron. He never technically went over the top rope. Uh, I mean, I think if, if you could effectively make the argument that when he was sitting on the top turnbuckle, that he was, he was reestablished in the ring and went out over the top. So I think I mean, maybe there's a technicality there, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to quibble over that. I think Lance Archer won <laughs> fair and square. Uh, and no, I just uh, wanted to give Kingston some uh, ammunition for his promo on Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember, think, I don't think Eddie Kingston needs help from anyone. <laughs> remember when that I can't remember which wrestler it was where they never got eliminated. Oh, it was. um, Oh, God. Uh, he teamed with uh, Damian Sandow, Curtis Axel, where he basically was like I was never eliminated for the Royal Rumble. So I've been in the Royal Rumble for 250 days straight. <laughs> like. That's what it should be with Eddie Kingston. But oh, no, and, I, I wasn't there also like way, way back. Maven never got eliminated. Something he like, got, like that. Knocked unconscious outside of the ring. Yeah. So Eddie Kingston should totally run with this. Um, I thought Will Hobbs had a good showing in this match. Um, I think he's ready to do more stuff on Dynamite. I would love to like he. He seems like a Team Taz guy to me. Pair him with those guys and yeah, this felt like out a that faction. out party for him being. Yep. In, in a kind of high profile spot and getting some shine on a big pay-per-view debuting some new gear. He looked awesome. And I've been saying for weeks now, this dude is ready, like give him the ball and let him run. He needs to be involved on dynamite. I need to see more of him. He needs to start getting some wins. Uh, I, I'm excited for, for the future for, for Will Hobbs. I think he's got great, great potential and is already pretty darn good. Archer is a, Going to be a great number one contender. I thought it might have tipped the cap on the main event since Archer and Jake Roberts are like full-blown heels, but 
you know, by the time the main event started, I kind of forgot about this match. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, right. are you ready to move on to? Uh, regrettably, yeah, we we do have to talk about the the next match, um, and I, I think this is probably the most difficult thing that I've watched live. Um, like I I wasn't watching back when the Owen Hart situation happened. Uh, and I'm trying to think of like other instances of, of really horrific injuries happening. Um, I can't think ring. of any in, in wrestling, but I, I equate it to when you see a football player, just get the shit knocked out of them and you can yeah, like look Chris see in their eyes. dying. Yeah. Like we're mainly more concussions than like, his spleen ruptured, but um, where you just like, you can see the gloss over in their eyes. They don't really know where they are. Um, and like they needed to protect him from himself there. You know, Matt Hardy, he's a warrior. Of course, he's not going to want to stop the match. I don't think any wrestler ever wants to stop the match. But the fact that that table spot, man, like we got to stop having Sammy and, and Matt wrestle because their last two Matt last couple weeks, um, Matt has gotten seriously fucked up and I'm not blaming this one on Sammy. I feel like this was a, just, they missed their mark together, but man, you got to make that table spot safer. Like the final, the, the, the final spot with, with Sammy falling through, you could see how padded that was. You can't have one table with padding underneath it in that type of moment, especially they were what 15 feet up in the air. And you can see on camera Matt's head smacked the concrete. It was so uncomfortable. Like, yeah. So if you didn't see the show, uh, they had a spot really like right at the beginning of the match. Oh, two and, or three minutes in. Yeah, I mean, it was almost instant. They get up on a scissor lift, and Sammy kind of speared or tackled Matt off the scissor lift, and they fell and basically missed the two tables that were set up and um, Matt ended up, you know, falling, kind of hit the table, totally hit the concrete. And, you know, as happens when your body hits concrete, his head went back. And I thought at first glance that he had, he had kept his, his head up and that he had managed to maintain his tuck, but, you know, clearly that was not the case. And, um, Aubrey jumped in pretty much right away and, you know, threw up, went to stop what? the match, threw up the X. Doc Sampson came out. They separated the two. And, you know, I thought Sammy did a great job of saving the Giving spot time. By, you know, emotionally oh, okay. screaming, you know, this isn't over. This isn't over as he's getting dragged away by officials. And, you know, we thought that was the end of it. And then there's this whole long, confusing, mm -hmm. you know, we see Doc Sampson walking with Matt Hardy. And then, you know, eventually the match gets restarted. Um, you know, Matt Hardy comes out and says that the match must be completed. And, you know, Sammy, come face your deletion. And they did a very quick brawl. And climbed up some uh, scaffolding. And, and that's the other thing, man. 
they had a concussed wrestler climb 20 feet into the air. Like, holy shit. Like, uh, uh, so someone I, we interact with on the, the, our official Twitter, uh, as part of the media scrum at, at the, uh, event right now. And Tony Khan's opening statement, if you don't mind me reading it right real quick, yeah, uh, he it. opens with health and safety of the wrestlers is the most important thing at AW. Matt Hardy is okay. Looks like he's going to be okay. He took a fell fall. I stopped the match, sent the doctor check on him. I rang the bell and paused the match. Doc checked on him to see how he was doing. Matt said he was okay, which was why the doc cleared him to continue. He went to the hospital for standard test and came back. Okay. It was a scary moment and not something that obviously wanted to happen, but we are glad he's okay. I'm sorry. In the NFL, you have an independent neurologist check players so they can't do, oh, I feel fine. Let me continue. That's bullshit. That, that's, they got to fix that policy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think, I think having an official concussion protocol makes sense in pro wrestling in the same way that it does in football. Um, so ultimately, Sammy gets knocked off the tower, goes through, um, uh, a pre-setup area of stage uh, that collapsed underneath him looked pretty good, honestly. And oh, yeah. Aubrey counted ten, but you could hear in her voice for the rest of the match, like that she was kind of shaken up, and, and oh, who yeah. wouldn't be? And like everyone involved, the whole thing was uncomfortable. Commentary was uncomfortable. The crowd was dead silent. I mean, it was really and it was bad very uncomfortable time and 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 they got kind of screwed by the stipulation here yeah regular hardcore match they could just say no contest done well but but i think they could have said no contest here as well because you could say okay matt hardy rose to his feet so you know the last man standing stipulation you know didn't apply but the doctor ruled that he wasn't able to continue. So I think you could have a non-finish there yeah. and, and that would be perfectly fine. Also, it's pro wrestling. All this shit is made up anyway. So, you know, make up. Or you could have, or God, you could even have Sammy says, no, 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 that's not, I wanted to be the reason like, yeah, like, like not from a doctor or a technicality or something. And you could have done something else with these guys, but I, and I'll try to give them a little, it's man, this all happened so fast. Like from when they went through the table to when the match went back on was what? Five minutes, six minutes. Like they had to make these calls so incredibly fast and they made a mistake and that's, and that happens, but they're lucky that this mistake didn't have more serious consequences. And I hope that they, and I, someone was also saying like, man, you could very easily say like you could have had a contingency plan where, okay, Matt's knocked out private party. Mark Quinn comes out and they just do that spot with Mark Quinn because their mentor is just getting his ass kicked. Like you could have done something and these type of matches need to have backup backup plans in case something like this happens. Or just don't do spots off a freaking scissor lift onto concrete. Or that too. Like, yeah, on top of concrete made it more insane. If they did the, the, if they did that on like the baseball, on the football field, man, like, yeah, it's still dirt and ground, but it's not 
man-made manufactured concrete like <laughs> yeah football stadiums are used as bomb shelters for fuck's sake <laughs> like <laughs> that's what they're made out of anyway I, I don't want to dwell too much on this match there there are other things on the card that are are definitely more interesting to talk about and i'm sure that this is going to be the thing that people talk about the most from this show which is really unfortunate because it's far from the most significant thing that happened um, it did. It did. It did cast a shadow over the show, and I get that. And I felt that the the rest of the night, I just felt I I was a little distracted. It's kind of hard for me to like. I would get into the match, and as soon as the match would end, I would kind of be like, "Oh my god, what the fuck!" So you know, I I understand people like being affected by it. But yeah, there's absolutely. there's a lot of good the rest of the show. Speaking of. Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa for the AEW's Women's World Championship. Holy crap, Joel. What are your initial thoughts on this? I mean, the the lasting takeaway for me is I really hope we haven't seen the last of Thunder Rosa in AEW because this was, in my opinion, the best women's match in AEW history. This was spectacular. And the technique that was on display in this match was unreal. Uh, it was so clean. When Thunder Rosa stood up into the pendulum submission yep. and then got that evil grin on her face and walked into the corner and started pendulum swinging Sheeta into the bottom turnbuckle pad and just bopping her head on it, I marked out so hard like that is some classic lucha libre submission work and i loved seeing it and the strength the power that she demonstrated to get into that spot and and really both wrestlers because that takes collaborative effort uh just amazing amazing stuff and and that was you know one spot in a long match that had so much great technical wrestling, so much counter wrestling, so much smooth transitioning from spot to spot. I loved this match. It also was crazy physical. Uh, Death Valley driver on the apron. There was a superplex that looked extra stiff. And I've never even had to like put that sentence together in the past, like a superplex looking stiff. Like it, it was great. And I think this was a huge match considering everything that just happened. If this match flopped or if it was a botch fest or it wasn't good, consider the pay-per-view shot. Like you were, you would not get the limited crowd back there. And one thing I did notice is like, okay, the crowd seemed a little quiet at the beginning. And I get that fans are fans. The AEW wrestlers at ringside needed to be more engaged. And I know they were probably worried and they were probably shook too. But there were moments in this match where they were just not reacting. And someone needed to kind of direct them to be engaged. And they should have been because this match was outstanding. And we've seen a lot of... I'm going to transition more to the good stuff now. We've seen a lot of NWA wrestlers speak up tonight. Like Nick Aldis tweeted, you know, represent us. You know, good luck. And uh, there was another NWA women's wrestler. I can't remember her name. He like... You bit off more than you can chew. The fact that all these NWA stars are reacting to this 
makes me feel really good that this wasn't a one-off. And I God, I pray to God this isn't a one-off because this match was amazing. And there's nothing this women's division could use more than a, a basically full-time Thunder Rosa in AEW. And I don't see why NWA would say, no, they're not doing shows right now. If they can get some exposure, get some money out of this, I don't see, like, I see no downside of this continuing. I agree. The, the, at minimum, it raises the profile of your stars and gets people interested in the NWA product. And for a lot of fans, I'm sure it's like a notice that, hey, NWA isn't the thing that happened before WCW now, you know? Because like prior to this revival, there wasn't really anything NWA going on it was just part of the legacy of the WCW championship that now resides, you know, in the other wrestling company. So I think it's a good thing all around. I saw some uh, Twitter back and forth between Big Swole and Camille, who is incredible. And I would love to see Camille wrestle in AEW. And, you know, even if it's just for, you know, a couple of spot shows to come in and, do a little one-off feud with somebody. Um, I, I think AEW has demonstrated that they're capable of doing that. I thought the Jeff Cobb booking showed that they're capable of doing that. He wrestled two matches or was on two shows. Um, and I thought it was great. So yeah, you know, there's really great stuff. Yeah. There's opportunity for that kind of thing to happen. And uh, this match, I just can't say enough good things about it. The striking was intense and you know, let's imagine this match with a, an actual story built into it. And I feel like we have a chance to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, let's also not forget, and this goes for all of the matches that took place. This is an outdoor arena in Florida and September is still summertime in the South. Oh, like dude, it was 90 degrees and 60% humidity. When I got like eight 30, nine o'clock in Jacksonville. Yeah. So, (laughs) You know, and the humidity goes up as the night goes on and the temperature goes down. Like, that's something that people don't realize. So, you know, by the end of the show, yeah, it's only 78 degrees, but it's up to 90% humidity. And that just makes things miserable. So they went out and they worked a long match. I think they probably ended up working a longer match than they expected because of the Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara situation. You know, well, I, think I got the official times. It went 17 minutes. Which, honestly, it felt longer than that. So it did feel longer than that. And it, you know, they worked the match like they were going to be working a long match. And that shows maturity. That shows experience. You know, these are people who combine for, I believe, over 30 years of ring experience between the two of them. Um, I could be wrong on that note, but I know they have a bunch. Um, they've both they been have, at it. For are they a both while. that old? <laughs> well, well, I guess you know, Luchadori can start super young in, in Japan. They like, yeah, Rio's been, she's what, 22? She's wrestling, 25, been wrestling for 13 years. Like, <laughs> she started when she was nine. Nine. So. Yeah. See, um, but yeah, great match. Um, I love Thunder Rosa's ring presence. Her swagger was just oozing here. Like, she was so confident. Like, like you said, that, that smile when she started doing the bumps into the, the corner with uh Sheeta. So great stuff here. I would love to see more from these two and hopefully we get it. Anything else, Joel? Well, my favorite spot of the match 
I think is indicative of how much character was on display. My favorite spot of the, spot of the match was a kick out. It was Thunder Rosa kicking out at one towards oh, the, yeah. the match. And then she kicked out the Falcon Arrow at one. While, while lying on the ground, turned and stared into the hard camera with this sick grin on her face and her tongue lolling out. And that combined with the face paint just really was such a moment. And I really, really loved that. That was my favorite spot in the entire match. And that's crazy. Yeah, this is, I, I definitely think it's it's one of the best women's matches we've had. Just running through my head, Sheeta, Nyla Rose, with the title change was fantastic. Sheeta and Britt Baker and the quarantine tapings was fantastic. And Rio Sheeta too. Um, well, not too, but Rio Sheeta at All Out last year was pretty good too. So, but this is definitely in the top two or three. I just don't know which one I'd pick. So, um, but yeah, let's, let's move on. Uh, in the eight man tag match between the dark order and the night natural nightmares, Matt Cardona, Scorpio sky, the face is getting the, uh, surprise win here. We both picked the dark order. Correct. Joel. We did. Uh, and, um, I, I think, uh, some dark days are ahead for, for one Colt Cabana after he, uh, screwed this one up and incurred the wrath of Mr. Brody Lee. I thought this was a fun match. I wasn't expecting to be into this match very much at all, but man, Stu Grayson can freaking work. Scorpio Sky is consistently amazing. And I I saw some really, really impressive stuff from uh, QT Marshall in this match. Uh, We also got another massive massive canadian destroyer in this match uh dustin hit the destroyer on colt cabana and that is two large human beings involved in a spot that was designed for tiny cruiserweights so uh really impressive i thought it looked really good and colt sold the hell out of it and we got an orton scale from dustin yes indeed what are you what are you gonna drop on it I'm going to give it a, a three. It was slow and low. Um, and I know you don't want to go too high or too low. It just, it, it, yeah, not the best. Not the best I've seen from him. Yeah, you know, would have been a two, but we kind of got a back-to-back power slam. So I'll bump it up a point for that uh, because that is always impressive to me when you hit multiple power slams in a row. So uh, Also, did you, I don't, obviously I just, I haven't been paying attention, but Scorpio Sky using his own entrance video, his own theme, not the SCU stuff. Don't know if that's totally new. It could have been recently when he's been doing his singles stuff, but yeah, he's been doing that for a little while. Um, yeah, continue the singles push. I need more Scorpio Sky singles stuff in my life. Um, and also Colt Cabana rocking the uh, Dark Order ring gear. It looked good, man. Maybe he won't yeah. need it that much longer. <laughs> I, I'm not sure for how much longer he's going to need it. Um, I also, I really liked seeing Dustin in the blue and black. I thought that yeah. was a really cool look for him. And, uh, you know, we had no idea that was coming. So that was pretty sweet. And yeah, uh, so, yeah it was a fun match. Yeah. And I, I just want to point out, uh, we're getting Dustin versus Brody Lee for the TNT championship on Wednesday. And really good, passionate promo from Dustin right there. Like it legit seemed like he just found out then that he was gonna face Brody Lee and uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, like his reaction felt 
like that natural. From also, the natural if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this is Dustin's first singles match for a championship since 2004. How the hell do you know that? <laughs> on Twitter. Oh, Joel, you could have said research or something, but I'm glad you gave credit. Where I credit researched is. it on Twitter. There you go. Uh, before we move to our next match, Joel, there was an interview segment in between that I feel like we should touch on. Um, Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford backstage. One, they're getting married. We knew that. They're going to announce his best man on Wednesday, so I'm excited to see a new wrestler in the company. But, Joel, the shade that was thrown at the other wrestling company tonight. Oh, I'm here for the petty. I'm here for it so bad. <laughs> And if you guys don't, I think it's kind (laughs) of convoluted. The short, short version, because I don't want to spend too much time on this. We've got a lot more to get to is that WWE is uh, not allowing their talent to access third party revenue streams anymore. So like they're banned from doing cameo, Twitch, YouTube. Uh, And so uh, Kip Sabian, of course, is a big time streamer plugged his Twitch channel and a message popped up on the screen saying this message was approved by all elite wrestling. Uh, and, and then they just paused for a second. They all just stood there for like two seconds, just smiling at the camera. Oh, so damn good. I love it. I do that shit all the time. So fucking awesome. Let's move on. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so next up, oh. man, I, I, I don't know that I'm ready to talk about this one yet. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega dropping the tag team title belt to FTR in what was an emotional tag team match. My goodness. Too many feelings, Joel. Too many feelings. What what stood out to me is that as soon as um they came out, as soon as Hangman Page was out, he didn't seem to have the bags under his eyes. Like he looked well rested, if we're being honest. And he was wearing different gear. Looked great. Looked awesome. He should wear pants all the time. But, you know. The tassels. The tassels kind of looked like Kenny at moments, too. Like, it felt like he was committed and that he kind of was like, we are a team. Let's do this. The high fives at the beginning, the do you trust me? And just the fact that they were going all out to save each other throughout the match. Like it really seemed Adam page was trying to make up for everything that he's done for the last six months. And the, him taking the pinfall and just being physically drained. It, it, it seemed more like he was just emotionally drained, emotionally spent. And he, he when he went to go lean on Kenny and Kenny pulled back, like, Man. So about halfway through the match, I I was watching with my wife and I turned and I said to her, you know, they set this up through all the storytelling, like Paige was going to let Omega down, but that's not how it's going to go. Omega is going to let Paige down. And, And that's exactly what happened in this match. Like Paige was the one in all the hero spots and all the hope spots for his team. And in the end, it was Kenny whiffing on a V-trigger and blasting Paige in the face that set up the sequence that ended this match. And it was Kenny who couldn't come in and make the save at the end 
to stop the pinfall. And I mean, for that match to go down the way that it did, and then for Kenny to turn on Paige, and I thought it was even more savage to not beat him down, but to just let him collapse in the middle of the ring, and then for Kenny to just walk out and say, you're not even worth my time. You know, like, I'm not even going to expend energy to beat you down with this table. I'm just leaving because I'm done and you mean nothing to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, you know, obviously I've never been in a situation where I could classify myself as hitting rock bottom. But there are times when you're low and there are times when things are rough where like, I don't know, there's kind of just this sense of clarity and this kind of sense of accomplishment just for surviving. And that's what it kind of felt with Paige tonight. He's like, I've been through this shit. I've just let down my friends. I'm going to leave everything out there. And, you know, I think Paige is going to come out as the baby face in this. And we've talked for six, seven months, Joel, about how they could split this team up. Who's going to turn on who? And for a long time, we thought it would be face Kenny, heel Paige, but that's definitely not going to be the case. And then you add in the added stuff of like Kenny walking out of the arena saying, you know, it's time. It's hard to hear exactly what it was saying, but it's like, I think he said, maybe it's time for a clean break. Yep. Or, you know, Let's I'm go done back with to this. the way things were. Yeah. And you won, like basically said, you have one chance get in the car with me and the bucks didn't get in the car with him. Mm-hmm. Like, where does this all go? Like we've been talking about, so the Bucks being dicks and heels now too, and they didn't even join Kenny in the car. So the way that I read it was that they watched that match and they saw Hangman Page sell out and they were ready to, you know, maybe embrace him, at least hold him up a little bit and say, Hey man, you did your best. Like we don't blame you for what happened. Um, and Kenny was just not having it. And, and they're kind of caught in the middle now. And that's interesting, too. But I think, you know, Kenny kind of stands alone. And I am ready to kayfabe hate Kenny. Like, oh, I'm too. ready. Oh, he's, he's such a bastard when he's a heel. Oh, man, he's such a bastard. <laughs> and you know what? Like, everyone's like people are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get heel Megan, heel Bucks. I don't want that again. We've seen that. We've seen Kenny and the Bucks be heels in New Japan and, like, run the house there. Like, we've seen that. Give me something different. And that's exactly what they're doing. And man, all the feels in this match. And dude, we haven't even talked about the match. The match was great. <laughs> yeah, the match was, the match was absolutely fantastic. excellent. Um, just exactly what you'd expect from FTR and from what we've seen of Omega and Paige over the last seven and a half months. They've just put on clinic after clinic after clinic. And this match was no different. Great psychology. Uh, so many spots where Paige was, you know, looked like he was down and out and found a way to kick out of something or rally through the punches and find his way back to his corner, um, find his way back to where he could be tagged in after all the things he was getting demolished with throughout the match. And he was always there to make the save for Kenny. And, I just, I mean, the spots in this match are are less relevant to me than the storytelling, but the spots were also great. 
ultimately it was two mind breakers in a row that ended things for Paige and for Omega. And just wow, fantastic yeah. stuff. And I, I think one of the great things too is that the ta- tag team division is in great shape. Like I'm not worried about taking the champions of the last seven months out of the division. Like it's going to be fine. FTR is going to hold it down. There's so many good teams in this division. So many teams that can be elevated by working with FTR. Um, you know, so we, we've talked for a long time about how when it, it is time for Paige and Omega to be back in the singles division and add to the stories. And, you know, we're talk about, you know, the main event and the champion and the, the contenders moving forward. But you add those two to that main event level scene and the main event level scene in AW is going to take a massive step forward. So ready to talk about the next match, which was probably way more fun than it should have been. If if I'm being honest, I did not expect to. (laughs) I mean, I knew there was going to be some entertainment. There's going to be some fun because Orange Cassidy was involved. Chris Jericho is involved. But I did not expect to be as locked into this match as I was. I like at one point I started like paying attention to my heartbeat because I was so tense watching this match that was just, you know, silliness of two of the silliest wrestlers in the company trying to knock each other into a vat of fake mimosa. Mimosa. (laughs) Like it was clearly like orange food coloring or possibly tang like (laughs) there's no chance um as as a connoisseur of mimosas myself there was no chance that that was uh mimosa in that time it looked worse when cassidy had it in like the cup yeah you get a hundred percent tell like that's not what a mimosa fucking looks like yeah definitely um but yeah man it was fun like i think it needed to be fun because you can't take a match called Mimosa Mayhem too seriously. Um, but not only was it fun, like I, it, it put over Cassidy in a big way. Um, and the match itself was fun. I love the, the, all the ways that they were trying to get each other into it. I, I liked Jericho trying to drown Cassidy in it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> shoving his face into it. Um, and yeah, I just... Just good stuff here. And, and if I had to pick a spot, like Cassidy hit, hitting the Mishinoku, Mishinoku driver, however you pronounce it, like that was a sweet fucking move. Like, good for you, man. Jericho's a bigger guy now. That's pretty impressive. So, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, there's not a ton to talk about here. It was, I mean, I think it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I just didn't expect to be as entertained by what I was imagining. Because I was imagining just a ton of spots of people teasing, falling in. Um, I think my favorite moment that made me laugh out loud was when Jericho almost like shoot lost his balance and fell in. (laughs) It was like when he was walking around the side of it, going to the yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But but this was this match was a lot of fun, and uh, I think coming out of it, I'm I'm really excited to see what Cassidy does next, uh, because this clearly has elevated him into, you know, being a main event level performer. And, you know, where do you go with a character like Orange Cassidy? Jericho was the perfect person to pair him with, but I feel like this is done. You know, 
this it, yeah this feud has to be done this was the rubber match um but i think the what this feud accomplished and what the goal was was show the fans that cassidy is a legit competitor like we're not gonna have to wonder anymore can cassidy bring it can cassidy get emotionally invested in a story because now we've seen it and he did it with one of the best to ever do it so yeah it's gonna be important to make sure that he's he doesn't go to the wayside i feel if there's any flaws of AEW right now is that they sometimes once a feud is over they can forget about a wrestler for a while and they lose a bit of their luster. Um, so keeping Cassidy in some way, shape, or form, you know, near the top of the show, I think is important. But um, yeah, I, I, great, great stuff here, man. Are, are you ready to move on to the main event? Well, I'll just say this: the great thing about pro wrestling is that you're always one match away from being in a top position. So. You know, like I think you're kind of referencing what happened with Brody Lee, what happened with Lance Archer, to an exactly. extent, what's happened with Brian Cage. Um, when mm-hmm. they debuted, they were white hot and then they lost a match and all of a sudden kind of get relegated to a secondary status. Well, we saw tonight uh, that, you know, Lance Archer, he's back on top. And we yeah. saw on, you know, a recent episode of Dynamite two weeks ago with Brody Lee, you know, he's absolutely on top so um well, i think the great cassidy, thing sorry go ahead I, th- I think the thing with cassidy that makes it at least to me different than those scenarios is that it wasn't they weren't like cassidy wasn't put on the top of the card right away like he was the third guy I mean, the best friends who did some comedy bits like this was a sustained build for him for like seven eight months so i don't think it's going to take something as dramatic as squashing cody or winning a bat 21 person battle Royal for him to be like secure again. I think that's the benefit of long term storytelling Absolutely. is that you don't have to rely on, Oh, well he had to do something extreme to get his heat back. Like Cassidy could just go into like a feud with say like MJF for the next two months, maybe not main event, but you know, good, good type of feud. And it wouldn't, wouldn't diminish. I think the, the, momentum he's built definitely well speaking of mjf uh let's move on to the main event uh which was a bloodbath between mm-hmm. mjf and john moxley uh where the paradigm shift was banned from the match uh but managed to be deployed behind the referee's back while wardlow was distracting the referee hoping to provide an opportunity for mjf to use the dynamite diamond ring to knock out John Moxley. Talk about an oopsie. Um, I would like to formally <laughs> offer my services to one Wardlow on helping him get his resume in order because I believe he will be seeking new employment very soon. Yes. yes I don't he think will. he's going to be employed by the MJF 2020 campaign after last night. So, uh, Wardlow, if you're out there, buddy, if you're listening, uh, I've helped a lot of people with their resumes. I would be happy to help you as well. Um, I think, I think this was, I I did not expect this match to be as great as it was. And I'm looking at this as a great match and it didn't have the high spots or the crazy bumps. Um, but it, it was just really well done. Moxley selling the shoulder injury throughout the match. Um, Kind of, you know, the whole thing with uh, 
Mox uh, with MJF was like, well, I'm going to wrestle you. And commentary commentary did a great job of emphasizing the advantages each wrestler had inside and outside of the ring. So that was a constant theme throughout the match. And like one of my favorite cliches in sports is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face where everyone has a plan until they're busted open. And you could tell that once MJF got busted open, the tone of the match, the style of the match shifted to be a little more desperate, a little more vicious. Um, and just <laughs> Moxley's face when he realized the ref's backwards turn, he looked like a kid in the candy shop where he, then he nailed him with one of the best looking paradigm shifts I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like it was phenomenal. And I think the important message to take from this match, MJF was right, man. MJF for weeks said that Moxley could not beat him without the paradigm shift. And Joel, you say it almost every week. The best heels are the heels who speak the truth. Yep. <laughs> and he no, put would... MJF's truth over so much in this match. I was pretty thrilled with this match. I thought it was really well worked. The only thing that I'm not happy about is the outcome. I was ready to see MJF as the heel champion, uh, lording it over everybody. And uh, I think there's a version of uh, Lance Archer that could be kind of a tweener in a face role. Uh, And so I wasn't really concerned about you know who's gonna win from a face heel perspective in this main event because i think you know you can paint lance archer either way if you choose to um but yeah this match was great excellent technical wrestling um some really good brawling and what i'm struck by every time i watch an mjf match is that it's always the best version of every spot Like, I think Randy Orton is like this as well, right? Like, Randy Orton doesn't do a ton of stuff in the ring. But everything he does, he does pretty much perfectly. Uh, One of the critiques, one of the things that, you know, I've heard interviews and him talking about kind of getting under his skin is people saying that he doesn't take risks. Uh, And, you know, that's that's kind of true. I'm still talking about Randy Orton here. Uh, And I think MJF is, is similar in that, You know, he knows what he's good at. He knows how to make what he's good at work within the context of the match. And this is the product that you get. This was an old school uh, story driven match that had a very cohesive beginning, middle and end. And I really, really loved the experience of watching this. I thought that, you know, there was a good chance MJF was going to get the win, especially after the gotch style pile driver didn't get the W oh. for Moxley. Oh. Cause I mean, that is a devastating move. You know, that's straight out of the Minoru Suzuki playbook. And, you know, <laughs> Minoru Suzuki is one of the most terrifying people on the planet. So I have nightmares. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I loved this match. I thought it was great storytelling and uh, I'm curious about, what do you do with MJF? I think the obvious thing is to have him complain about the fact that the stipulation oh, yeah. was ignored and for him to now be the indignant heel who, despite the fact that he was trying to cheat, got cheated himself. Uh, yeah. 
And that's the great thing about a tweener champion like Moxley is that he can do something nefarious like that in the same way that a Stone Cold Steve Austin would. And, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's still the good guy, even though in his promo before this match, he claimed to be the bad guy. Yeah, I, I, the obvious, yeah, like you said, is either the Wardlow or complain about the results. You know, if Cody wasn't wrapped up in this eventual Dark Order feud, like it would seem like a natural thing to say, okay, management is out to screw me again. Well, who's the face of the company from the management side? That's Cody. Um, the Wardlow like feud makes sense too. Like, hey, you cost me this match, or if you threw a little better, I'd be champion right now. And they kind of teased the Wardlow turn a few months ago. Um, so that could they be an option. The turn on Wednesday. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, he took a long, lingering look at the AEW championship while his boss was getting his butt kicked. So, I mean. So, yeah, and that would be hot fire. You know, I'd be a little nervous about Wardlow on the mic, but I guess you kind of don't really need to talk that much when, like, him. Um, but we also know AEW is cool with managers, so they could always get him a manager, too. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways to go from here. Obviously, the Moxley path forward is a lot easier. And I think, and, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the, the prediction show, but one of the reasons that I, I picked Moxley is that I feel there's just a more, there's a, I think, I think just there's a plethora of heels right now who would make good challengers. And I just couldn't think of a worthy challenger if uh, MJF were to win right off the bat. Like, who would be, like, you're not going to bring Adam Page or Kenny Omega right now because they're probably going to be doing their own thing. Cody can't. He can't challenge for the world title. I mean, maybe like a Matt just, Cardona. Not big enough for me. Like, yeah, that'd be a, a, a nice feud. But, you know, I haven't seen anything from Cardona yet to say that he should be that high up on the card. And I mean, this I is AEW. They're proxy for Cody, though. Well, this is AEW. The main event of every pay-per-view has been the AEW World Championship. So when I think of potential feuds for the champion, in my head, I'm like, can they main event one of four pay-per-views a year? And right now there's not a face other than Moxley that I think can do that based off of all the other stories that everyone else has going on. Yes. In a vacuum, Cody could Omega could hangman page could, but they're all in other stories right now. So like I love orange Cassidy. I don't think you want orange Cassidy MJF to main event full gear. Maybe two more months of build would change that for me, but so that that's kind of what went into my mindset. I think there's more things right now for Moxley, and the ratings are getting better. The ratings hit a seven month high this week. I think they want to ride that Moxley momentum. And man, I, I I'm a full on Mox Mark right now. Four months ago, I was like, I didn't even want to talk about him on the podcast. So <laughs> good work in revitalizing this Moxley title reign that I think we both felt was kind of Eh, for a while so yeah well wow what a long uh, day <laughs> yeah it's it's 10 past one in the morning and uh i am not editing this tonight i'm doing this tomorrow <laughs> so I, i'm gonna go ahead and give you a random observation because i actually have a random observation from this show i don't uh, have the strength to push the button just yeah, it's, it. it's fine it's fine um so i'd like to uh say a quick uh, prayer for all the people who um, decided to play the Austin gun drinking game 
which he posted on Twitter, which is that every time you hear Austin Gunn's voice on the show, you drink. Oh, God. uh, (laughs) If you did that, uh, I can't imagine the scale of hangover that you are going to have when you wake up in the morning because but joel they could just have doctor they could just have dr samson check on him and clear him in two minutes like they'll be fine oh that was low (laughs) (laughs) too soon sir too soon no Uh, i i'm expressing my frustration with how one of my heroes almost died tonight (laughs) fair enough gonna say if you if you made it to the end of this sprawling hour and 10 minute long recap of uh, of a four-hour pay-per-view, uh, you have our gratitude. And uh, I still think, for the record, that it's a great time to join the Dark Order. You, you said your outro before I even got a chance to talk about all the email and contact information and stuff. They know that information. This is a special <laughs> episode. Well, guys, uh, subscribe, <laughs> rate us. You can find us on the socials. We'll talk to you later. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling.